now in those days the number of shares issued was quite a bit lower than it is today but in relative terms those were pretty substantial market capitalizations for the early 1980s those were 100 million dollar companies and we can see this many decades later uh, at today's pricing we we can see some things that are going to i think going to surprise people but whether that's in six months or nine months i don't want to say but i can see it coming sometime in the next two years This is Canadian Market Watch, the podcast where your co-hosts Jim Check and George Sanders dive into the economy of Canada with industry experts. They cover mining, oil and gas, forestry, agriculture, manufacturing, and everything in between, asking lots of questions, tough questions. If it's impacting the Canadian economy, they're talking about it. Welcome to another episode of... uh... Canadian Market Watch with Jim and George. We just thought we'd catch up here, and uh, the markets have moved quite dramatically since we were initially started talking on Canadian Market Watch. And uh, and George and I have been talking about like, hey, let's talk about where we've been and and maybe where we're going. George, you want to add to that? Yeah, great, Jim, and uh, nice to do this again. Um, I was uh, just before we we started this, I was looking back and. Uh, trying to see when we first began this, and it was uh, in, in March. And, of course, uh, that was uh, just after the COVID had hit and uh, the U.S. Fed was making all sorts of uh, uh, dramatic new, uh, basically, money-printing exercises, and the markets went for um, a deep sell-off, including the precious metals prices. And that's kind of where we started with this, Jim. And we were talking about uh, the potential positive impact of money printing on the price of precious metals. And uh, that we thought that uh, over the longer term, they could move higher. So here we are uh, five months later, and gold has moved from... 1700 to over 2000 uh so now has touched all-time highs in all major currencies in the world uh the last holdout being the u.s dollar and uh we we had also talked as a as a theme for canadian market watch a way of uh perhaps reintroducing uh junior resource uh, speculative markets and startup companies uh, to investors or introducing them, in fact, for the first time. And we have seen in this intervening five months a good move in those markets, actually a dramatic move. And we've seen financings too. We've seen quite a few financing come through, oversubscribed on many of them as well. So there is money flowing back into this sector. There, there's there's substantial money flowing into the sector. The financing windows for the startup businesses uh, are wide open. Uh, over the last number of years, let's just say five years, uh, often when a company announced a financing, the stock would immediately trade lower uh, because of anticipated uh, dilution. And uh, we're seeing the exact opposite dynamic in the last couple of months when financings are announced now, 
the stocks tend to go up and there's usually a follow-on announcement uh, a day or two later of increasing or or oversubscribing the, the financing and so that window is uh, that window is clearly open uh, and that's very positive because uh, the startup business of looking for new mineral deposits is very capital intensive it's very expensive and it's only exceeded by the capital requirements if you're lucky enough to make a discovery and find something and then the dollars required to develop that go up almost exponentially so uh the financing uh, uh window being open is is really important and um I, from what i see and people in the business that i talk to uh it's really not yet uh, at a euphoric level, it's it's a lot of the same characters. It's a lot of the uh, experienced players in the business. It's not really the investing public yet, although we are starting to see signs that uh, generalist money in the U.S. is starting to look at the sector. Uh, not just the producers, but the developers as well. And having said all that, we're pro- we're probably in the last week. We're probably in the midst of a bit of a pause in all of that activity. Not so much the financing, but the uh, the volume the volumes traded, and uh, so there's a little bit of a pause or a correction going on in the last uh, five to t- to ten trading days. Yeah, so in, in gold itself, I think we've had 15 up days in a row. And so you were probably due for a bit of a, a correction here on, on the Friday when we're off a little bit this morning. We're still holding on to that $2,000 level. But I think that's probably healthy for it kind of, you know, set back a bit so people can uh, trade back into it. Because it, it, the last 15 days have been pretty steep, right? So yes, we put on some pretty good weight. <laughs> I, I thought 2000 would come, you know, like, in the fall 2000 came in a hurry yeah um the other thing that i i listen to bloomberg every morning um and you know for years and prior to this you don't hear gold very often but most of the time when they put on a an analyst gold ends up in the conversation right so talking about um an allocation towards gold and with uh negative real yields on bonds and they're, they're just a lot of people are kind of exasperated as to where to put money, where to park it. Like, what are what are the options? Like, if you're not putting it into gold, what are you putting into? If you're looking at wealth preservation, right? So, um, I, I don't think there's a lot of other choices out there. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And uh, you know, y- you and I have had this conversation not as part of the podcast, but as part of just the. Uh, chatting about trading strategies on some of the juniors that that we're interested in, and you, you made the point that uh, uh, about profit taking, and and while that's a good idea and it's good uh, portfolio management and good strategy for uh, even an individual investor with as little as a few thousand dollars, that's a good thing to do. But having said that, you know where where do you if you take your profit you 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 turn your your 50 cent stock back into cash at a dollar that's a terrific uh uh 
locking in of that profit. Uh, but what do you do with that money? And, you know, what, what I've been doing is uh, trying to go down the food chain or, or looking for other companies that haven't yet had a, a dramatic move. So mm-hmm. personally, I'm, I personally, I'm recycling it, but you know, you, it, it begs the question, if you take, take some money off the table, what then do you do with it? Um, obviously there's a tax consideration on that if you're not trading in a registered account. And obviously there's, uh, you know, personal, personal expenditures or, uh, uh, luxury type expenditure rewards that people determine that they may want to make but it, at at the end of the day if if you are trading a gold related investment back into cash how long do you want to keep that cash or what are the alternatives uh to put that cash into and we've seen like the the press releases that have come out recently, I think this is of significance. The ones, the, the miners that reported in the last few days, the thing that you're going to see in their headlines is record profit, record revenue, and uh, increasing dividends. And we've seen that with B2 Gold and stuff like that, and, and, and a number of them. And even in, and a lot of them had that COVID quarter where they had to kind of shut down or curtail operations for you know, six weeks or something like that. So pretty impressive. And then, and that's when the, I mean, that quarter they were reporting around the gold price around 15 and a half, I would think somewhere in there. Yep. Yep. And then since then we've seen a big move and, and, and you can probably tell, tell me better on this. Like, I don't see a lot of hedges anymore. I don't, I don't see a lot of people taking on hedges. So, um, what do you see out there? Are, are, are miners letting it run? Or it, 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 absolutely, it was interesting. I was reviewing, uh, I was reviewing uh, B two Gold's uh, most recent quarter uh, MDNA, which is uh, a document that accompanies financial statements, a required document, and it stands for Management Discussion and Analysis. And that's really where you get all the details of of what a company's doing. And in that um, uh, in that uh, document, they had disclosed all their derivatives positions, and uh, they all had to do with energy. They're 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 not hedging any of their gold or silver production. What they're what they're doing is uh, locking in prices for diesel and gasoline and some things like that. And and that's standard operating procedure for most companies uh, that are big energy consumers uh, is that they'll have hedges on oil or diesel or gasoline. So that it's not that they're playing the market; they're just trying to lock in price mm-hmm. certainty. Absolutely, yeah. but I'm not seeing anybody hedged. And 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 just to your point about uh, uh, about um the the improving uh, profitability uh everybody kind of acknowledges it but i'm not sure that a lot of people have really thought through the full implications of it so for the mining the actual mining industry so we're not talking about explorers or developers here we're talking about established 
precious metals mining companies that have had ongoing operations. And during the last uh, bull cycle for these uh, for the stocks of these companies, which terminated in 2011, there were a lot of moves that were made. Um, and essentially, there was some balance sheet destruction in terms of uh, overpaying for acquisitions and not paying attention to operating efficiencies and taking on excessive debt. And in, in the now almost 10-year period since that peak, uh, which has been a time of real struggle for the gold producers, uh, these companies have managed to repair their balance sheets, shed uh, non-core assets, sometimes yes at a loss, but nevertheless, they've been able to repair the balance sheets, get the operations running on a uh, very efficient basis. And so now that the, the product prices have moved in a dramatically moved, uh, they're in great shape to really, really make a lot of money. And and a, a, a very recent, again, with B2 Gold, a very recent illustration of that is uh, often a company will report some of its uh, operating uh, uh, parameters as statistics a week or two before they actually release their quarterly financial statements. And so in B2's case, they, they did that and they, they summarized their uh, it was their second quarter, their six-month period, summarized that, and they said that going forward, we expect to make for the year 800 to 850 million free cash flow, which is quite staggering. <laughs> but but in the short period of time between that release and then the actual release of the financial statements in MDNA. In the MDNA, they guide to 900 million free cash flow. <laughs> so, so they already, in that short period of time with this move, they already upped, uh, upped the amount of, of, of free cash flow. As part of this cleansing exercise that's gone on for the last decade, uh, these companies haven't actually been super aggressive in rebuilding the pipeline of their assets. And because resource extraction is a, um, you know, from the, 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 the very minute that you open a new mine or you, you bring on stream a new oil well, you're now counting the days to to the end of that resource. It's a finite uh, resource, and it'll eventually dwindle to nothing. So it's important that the producers replace their reserves and what they mine in a year, that they replace that with new reserves. And, and that's developed by exploration uh, and or by acquiring someone else that has those reserves. So with this newfound free cash flow, the industry is going to find itself in a position of a little bit of a capital allocation uh, challenge. Uh, in other words, we have more money than we can spend. What do we spend it on? 
And as Jim, as you just mentioned, we're already seeing companies announce an increase in their dividend or the institution of a dividend if they didn't previously pay one. Uh, and an- the, the part about this that I find exciting is that, uh, as I just said, a lot of these companies don't have a particularly robust pipeline of projects that are being developed. So they're going to have to go out and find those projects. And those projects right now uh, reside in the hands of junior explorers and particularly developers. And and so we see uh, this historic dynamic of the bigger mining companies end up being a source of funding for the junior mining companies. That hasn't happened for a few years, and and I can see that on the horizon. And so for people who are playing a little bit further down the risk chain uh, and investing in resource startups, uh, I, I think the capital available in that market is going to expand simply because the majors have to put their money someplace. Yeah, because they get analyzed on that too when they look at like when the the bigger companies out there they they look at what they have left for reserves and and stuff like that. And a lot, not a lot of them have been putting in putting money into the ground for exploration. So they do kind of rely on that feeder system from the explorers, I guess. And I and I would imagine Great Bear would be one of those companies right now that's got to be on some people's radars for what they're kind of delineating out there. I I have no direct knowledge of that. So put that out right right up front. But I would be surprised if uh, the the technical team running the Great Bear program isn't frustrated because of all the time they have to take away from day-to-day work while they escort the representatives of mining companies around showing them their data. So I, I, I absolutely agree with that, that, that that's one of the ones that would be on the list. So I think they're a very successful explorer. They seem to, each hole they report, and they have an active drill program. Each hole that they report seems to outline a bigger and bigger deposit, which is, a, which is great. Um, and, and that gives hope to all explorers out there. And I think the technology is probably getting better too. And maybe let's talk a little bit about what the normal cycle is for for mining stocks in general, because we're kind of like outside of that normal cycle. Because from my recollection over the years is most people sell everything before the PDAC or that's kind of the peak. And then you kind of like let everything kind of like dwindle and die off until the fall run. And then you kind of just rinse and repeat. But we've had a, like since March, we've kind of, um, well, we've seen the price of gold and, and the mining stock and the explorers have kind of followed along. So fall is typically where we start to see drill results come in and all that kind of stuff. And maybe you've been in the industry a lot longer than me and actually actively in the industry. Maybe explain the cycle to me. Well, part of the cycle just comes from uh, how things used to be 50 years ago when they were focused in, in pretty much in British Columbia, the Yukon Northwest Territories, and in Ontario and Quebec. And, and so the 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 stuff out west uh, the old vancouver stock exchange there was definitely uh a seasonality and it had to do with the rhythms of actually dealing with uh, 
the topography and climate in the Western Cordilleran. So we have a lot of mountains. Uh, we, for some reason, most deposits are either halfway up or that top of a mountain. We're in a part of the world where winter comes in, uh, well, it starts in late August. And so there was a seasonality. Um, now, the business has expanded way beyond that, but those old, those old rhythms of seasonality have kind of stuck with us. Um, but what I'm really encouraged about, uh, and I haven't heard too much chatter about this, is that typically, uh, and there's that old market adage that isn't just for junior markets, sell in May and go away. And then, and then markets, as you say, uh, start start looking pretty good in the fall for a little while, and and then often we have a, a really good January and February. Uh, and if you go back to old seasonality, that would have been all the work being done in the late summer and fall, and then the results being delivered just before and then uh, just before Christmas and then into the into the new year. Um, but this year, the junior market, the 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 sort of old VSE style, the um, uh, the startup explorers and developers really didn't catch uh, on until mid-June. And the volume since mid-June <clears throat> has been quite dramatic. And and the the movements in the stock have been quite dramatic. And, you know, you can probably uh, look at any chart of your favorite stock. You could go to a chart of the TSX Venture Index and see the move that's happened. But more importantly, the increase in volume. So normally this is a quiet time of the year and it has been anything but. (laughs) So to me, that is a really encouraging sign you know, for the next 18 months. I know it's, it's saying to me, yeah, go ahead, Jim. No, I'm, I, I was just going to echo those things and just say, it, this has not been a time, and I guess nobody's been on vacation anyway, but this is, would not have been a good time to, to put the, the old laptop away and not look at the markets for, for a couple of months. You would have missed out on a lot. So, um, and I, and I think going forward, I, as for gold, um, I can't see anything that is changing in the environment that it's affected gold that would hurt it going forward. If anything, it's the, the, the factors influencing gold are actually getting more prominent to me. Like, I mean, the money printing, I think we're going to do some more here in the next little while. Canada's debt is, I mean, Canada's a small player in this, but it's debt it alone is five times greater in this, these last six months or something like that. So, and what's going on in the U S is just crazy. Um, and, and the, to me, the part that's crazy about it is it's kind of now accepted. It's just like, oh yeah, that's not a problem. You know, it's like, we'll just, we'll just do this ridiculous deficit spending and we'll, we'll lend money into creation and nobody cares. And, 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 you know, there's a consequence to that. There's a longer term consequence and that's, the, this move in gold is a voice crying out saying, hey, you know, this is your your currency is going to be the, the purchasing power of your currency is going to be seriously diminished the more you do this. 
And that's not anything new. That's, you know, based on... Kind of common sense, <laughs> about, right? <laughs> about 20,000 years of human history, you know. It, it, it goes back to the to the fall of Rome when the gold coins were diluted with copper and lead. And, you know, it's the same idea, right? Right down to wood, I think they started yeah, using yeah. it. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's the same idea. And so, um, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of people that are uh, of a view that uh, gold has an important role aren't necessarily suggesting that we go on a gold standard, but it certainly is uh, suggesting that uh, uh, the, the gold that you have will, will preserve your purchasing power. And if you're not buying any physical, the reason that you play in the speculative or startup end of, of, of the, the business with those companies that are either looking for or developing new deposits is because you can get order of magnitude moves in those things. You know, I, I, I follow a, I follow a stock that's a, a silver dedicated company and it's retreating dramatically in the last couple of days. I think it's 65 cents as we speak uh, down from 81 or 82 a couple of days ago. But from a year ago, it was eight cents. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so you get that leveraged move, um, and and in in a sense, that's a, a preservation of purchasing power in itself. You know, if someone turns a thousand dollars into eight thousand uh, dollars, even you know that move has outpaced in one year. Uh, what the inflation rate would have done to to destroy your uh, purchasing power. So we've talked about how we've looked at this, you know, starting in March. Then we we've been talking we've been talking for a long time, but in March we started Canadian Market Watch, and the price of gold has um, dramatically gone up. Where do you what do you see going forward? Like, what do you see going out six months a year? Oh. I uh, I don't like to put numbers on things because we we have no idea. But you know, before before we did this, uh, before we we turned the, uh, the the tape on for the podcast, you and I were talking, and and I was reminiscing a little bit. I actually uh, put some thoughts on paper um about my experiences when i first got into this business in the late 1970s and 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 likening today to what happened then so there are some global macro differences between the two uh, the two time periods f- for sure uh there's some technological things obviously that that make it a difference but um we we know that uh, we know that uh, Nixon closed the gold window in in uh, I think it was August of 1971. Uh, gold went from thirty five dollars very quickly to a hundred. It kind of traded around a little bit. It went to two hundred, and then it came back and it kind of traded around one seventy one fifty for a good part of the decade. And then in, in, in the late 1970s, which is, which is my experience, I, I started in, in uh, the summer of 1978, gold was 200 bucks an ounce in uh, 
June of 1978. Uh, in October of 1979, so a little over a year later, it was $400. And that's when it first broke $400. Four and a half, four and a half months, four and a quarter months after that, in January of 1980, it traded at 850. So it doubled and then it doubled again, more than doubled. And I can see that kind of thing going on uh, with, with gold and silver prices right now. I, 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 I'm less confident on the time frame. And, and again, Jim, as you and I talked before we, we, we came on, uh, we both thought this 2000 level would be breached, but we didn't think it would happen as quickly as it did in the last month. Um, so maybe these things will happen quicker. I'm kind of hoping that they don't. I'm kind of hoping that they, they, they take a little while. Um, but you can have all sorts of numbers that are a little bit mind-boggling, but are based are based on some real um, uh, statistics. So take that take that 850 price and and take it out given given an inflation rate uh, over you know from 1980 to 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 2020, and what's the number and that number is well above two thousand uh, dollars there are other other serious in the gold mining business gold following guys that uh, that i pay attention to who've called for some quite dramatic numbers and they can give you a very sound rational uh statistically based model on why that number makes sense. So uh short term I see us pausing a little bit. I think uh I think that uh, gold gold itself may have uh, a bit of a pullback. We may come a little bit under 2000, we may come, you know, 100 bucks under, I don't know. Uh typically in new bull markets, your corrections if they are dramatic, they're short-lived. And if they're not dramatic, they they are mere pauses. In other words, the rate of the rate of acceleration just flattens out for a week or two. So I wouldn't be surprised at that. I wouldn't be surprised to see the rest of August be pretty quiet. Maybe early on in September be kind of quiet, and um, and and then I I would see things um, moving again nicely, particularly in the. Um, uh, in the junior space, if if we look at uh, again some statistics, if we look at uh, uh, a chart of the TSX Venture Exchange, we see that it's doubled since um, since March, since the low, and so that's pretty dramatic, and it it should take a little bit of a pause. But if we look at a if we look at a longer term chart instead of one years if we look at three years we see that we've only recovered to a level from which we spiked down so looked at a little bit longer term the room to run 
for uh, explorers and developers is actually wide open. And, and I, see, uh, I see that happening. And again, going back to my experiences in the late 70s as a, as a young guy coming into the business, um, the, the company, the junior company that I was involved with, um, because my father was running it, my father was, uh, is a mining engineer. Um, f- first, the uh, first, uh, couple of days of getting involved, the stock of that company was 50 cents and a year and a half later, it was $22. Mm. Um, for, for BC listeners, uh, there's currently a, a little explorer that's active on the, uh, the Coquihalla just outside of Hope. Uh, and that's a known gold belt, and they have a known deposit. That deposit was actually put in production uh, briefly in the early 1980s, but prior to it going on stream, uh, the people behind that company got that stock as high as $50 a share. So that's now in those days, the number of shares issued was quite a bit lower than it is today. But in relative terms, those were pretty substantial market capitalizations for the early 1980s. Those were $100 million companies. And we can see this many decades later uh, at today's pricing, we, we can see some things that are going to, I think, going to surprise people but whether that's in six months or nine months i don't want to say but i can see it coming sometime in the next two years yeah for me i'm I'm more i've always been more of a technical person and uh for a long time i've I've known we've take like i mean i've been very confident i don't i guess i can't say i've known but very confident that we would take out our old high of 1920 and and we did that quite um forcefully actually and uh where it goes from here, I, th- I th- like if you look at the chart, um, you would say it looks pretty good. And uh, it would be nice to kind of base a little bit here, like even step down. I think even Dennis Gartman, some people love him or hate him. He's called for gold. And, uh, you know, they, they kind of say he's made one of the best calls for gold. And recently he said to sell the, the bullion, but he said any pullback from the, any high of $100, he's back in. So, and I think you might get that today. But, um, so I think if anybody's looking for a, like a, like a top, I think they're going to be missing the boat, but, um, I think it's healthier if we kind of like at least build the staircase a little bit, right. <laughs> Instead of something that yeah, is para- uh, parabolic, right. So Yeah. The, the staircase is, uh, from a technical chart formation is, I mean, you can't get better than that. So that's a good way of putting it. Those are, those are really good, uh, really good patterns. And, and, and you know, often, and it doesn't matter whether it's gold or junior stocks or bonds or currencies or whatever. Just when you look at a chart, when you look at the technical picture, uh, often you will see something bump, bu- uh, bumping up against a high and going through that high. And especially if it goes through dramatically, like gold has just done, uh, that former high now becomes the support rather than mm-hmm. you know than the resistance that it wasn't that it once was and and often the things will come back and probe that level so if that's at just above 1900 it wouldn't be 
it wouldn't be a bad thing to see gold come back, penetrate that level a tiny bit, stabilize at that level for whatever length of time, and then move again. That that's quite a bullish. And and if you you know if you can imagine that happening a series of times, you can you can really see your staircase pattern with that kind of thing. So. Uh, so I think that's, uh, and, and my, my contention, and it'd be really interesting f- to get feedback from folks that are listening to this. Um, my contention is that, uh, this is very much still what I call the pros or the insiders. Mm-hmm. Um, th- th- this, this really, this really hasn't broadened out yet to, uh, to the public. And and as I was mentioning earlier, jotting down some reminiscences on on paper earlier today, um, I I can recall uh, a coin dealer. It's not a coin dealer anymore. It's a coffee shop in downtown Vancouver in the winter of seventy nine eighty. Um, on many many days, there were lineups out the door to just get into this uh shop and people were buying uh krugerrands and maple leaves and we're still seeing that on kitco like like out of stock out of stock out of stock right and uh yeah and um the other one that uh, both of us have bought a little bit from is is Monet, which is an online jewelry store that sells only 24 karat gold and platinum um and they actually run your little investment account for you and show you show you where your jewelry's at. And I've even seen that dramatically go up. So, um, and I, the cool thing about that is is you can buy the gold and wear it, and then that, that kind of stuff you pass through the generations because nobody's throwing that away, right? As opposed to when you're buying something from a traditional jewelry store that's ten, fourteen, you know, whatever carat gold, where you're buying pure gold can always be turned into something else. Well, uh, a little a little plug for those guys, and it, it's it's really quite dramatic. If if you go to a jewelry store and you you know you buy a gold chain or something, and it looks that's really nice looking stuff, but you get this stuff, and it has, and Jim, you can speak to this. It has heft. Uh, it it looks different than jewelry store gold. Because right. most jewelry store gold is not twenty four karat, and and it's just it's it's really it's really dramatic. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It's beautiful, beautiful stuff. And the thing that I like about it is that, uh, as you say, that's the kind of thing that you pass on to your uh, to your next generation. Um, but should you need to sell it? Uh, there's a market on Mene, the place from which you bought it, yeah. uh, and and they will quote you, um, they will quote you a fair price. I, I actually where, sold sold one. It's going to say, whereas if you take it down to the local <laughs> guy that buys it, you're going to get skinned pretty good. I actually sold a necklace back because the class broke, and uh, I actually sold it back for I think thirty percent more than I bought it for. Because they they only take ten percent, it's they buy it back for spot less ten percent. So pretty good deal actually, right? So if you, I mean, it's 
the downside of it, I, I would say, is like for some people, is that gold is soft, very, very soft metal. And it's going to scratch more than, you know, the 14 karat gold because it doesn't have the other alloys in it. But um, you can tell the difference when you put it beside the uh, other stuff. It stands out like it's dramatic for yep. sure. Yeah, it is dramatic. And and you know what? That that's real simple. You just don't wear it every day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but 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 the little the for for our listeners, the little plug is uh uh M E N E is uh Mene. Uh and you can I think it's Mene.com. You can go look at that if you're interested in in the jewelry. And if you don't want to spend quite that amount of money or you're not sure about it. You can also, I believe that's the, their stock symbol as well. And you can all, they're a publicly traded company and you can also uh, invest uh, in them. And that's kind of one of these uh, levered indirect ways of participating in the, in the precious metals market. Their biggest problem they've had is they couldn't get access to bullion. And, and that's yep. kind of slowed down their sales because when, it, you know, everything was going, uh, they couldn't get access. So. Uh, and their stock has not done that well, has recovered recently, but, um, but I think they've got a really unique thing going there. And as soon as it gets out to the public more, I think it'll be, it'll change the, the way that most people buy jewelry. Cause I mean, if you ask yourself, would you ever buy any other jewelry anymore than, than that? I surely wouldn't. I wouldn't go to a regular jewelry store anymore and buy, you know, 14 carat or whatever. When you, when the price is so different too, cause I, I'd say 80% of the value in, in uh, like traditional jewelry is in marketing. So the, the, whereas it the other way around with the Monet stuff, they're only charging you, I think a 15 to 20% markup from the actual yep. bullion cost. So yep. kind of flip yep. that right around. So yeah, cool, it's right? uh, so. it's, it's a great, it's a great concept. And uh, you know, I, I can say as a, I guess as a client of theirs that uh, we've been very happy with the, few purchases that we've made there's our plugs right we got kitco you can buy your bullion there <laughs> and Manet, you can buy your jewelry <laughs> and you got and, the... <laughs> and full disclosure none of those people even know we exist right. or are paying or are paying us anything for this we so. didn't even get any social influencer creds or anything we didn't get anything like nothing that. <laughs> they didn't send us nothing yet anyway so um <laughs> we don't expect anything either but um you can also go on this cool thing called the TSX, and you can buy juniors, you can buy seniors, you can buy mid-tier stocks, and uh, I think it's it's worth looking into. Canada was built on the resource sector, and uh, and it was like some of our best companies ever come out of Canada were were created in the resource sector, and uh, and and I think for if if we can put some support behind those guys, like I, one of the things that I I read a headline today that. Sounds like Barrett Gold might delist on the TSX and just go to the New York Stock Exchange. That would be a sad day for Canada too, um, because Canada kind of had all the top mining companies before. And 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 and, and I'll tell you, uh, the founder Peter Monk will be rolling over in his grave. Mm. Uh, he is a naturalized Canadian. He is a Hungarian immigrant, um, but he was he was fiercely proud of. Uh, the Canadian, uh, the original Canadian um, foundational asset of Barrick, which was the Camflow mine, uh, and he was he was fiercely proud of it being a Canadian 
headquartered enlisted company. So even though their their greatest success came from Nevada, nevertheless, uh, so that that would be a sad day indeed. But you know that's indicative of uh, of where the money center is right now and where the where the mm-hmm. power is. Um, uh, uh, again, not to not to uh, uh, dwell in the past, but uh, you know I can recall in that 1970, late 70s and early 80s environment, um, receiving calls from Wall Street guys because gold had captured the attention of the entire financial world. And receiving calls from these guys that normally you, you you could never get in the door to see them. They would never return a phone call. And they are the ones making the outgoing cold calls to little junior exploration companies. And that's going to happen again. And it hasn't really started yet. Um there is a little bit of that going on, but they're already known industry players. And when the generalists start to come uh, and and big capital from hedge funds uh, globally, um, we're we're uh, those are going to be exciting times. And and having said that, uh, Jim, you had mentioned again in a private conversation. Uh, the the um, activity in the resource sector in general and in gold mining in particular of the Chinese. Mm-hmm. And, and we've seen Chinese companies buy recently by two um, uh, junior projects, uh, one of which is a project in the Northwest Territories. Not sure if it's NWT or Nunavut, but it's uh, it's in that part of the world, and um, uh, that's not something that gets talked about a lot. But that's kind of indicative of the uh, global interest that's well beyond mere Bay Street or how or uh, Wall Street. Yeah, if you get a look at a map of, uh, I, I think I posted one on my LinkedIn the other day of uh, Chinese influence in parts of the world, and they've lit up Africa there with um, purchasing mining assets as well and deposits and stuff like that. So because not only do they buy the deposit, they bring the workforce that comes in and mines it and the technology and all that stuff too. So they've, they've really, I think they're probably using a lot of that U.S. treasuries that they've had in their, in their care to uh, divest of those and then put them into real assets, which is, I think, yeah. you know, probably a good idea for a lot of people. Um, Russia has increased its reserves as well. So the, the one part I was going to mention, and, I'm, and I hope I don't get this wrong, um, this is from my memory, that the TSX was actually created out of a little mine in uh, Trail, Red Mountain, um, according to the history that I remember. And that I think that mine became owned by Tech at some point, but I think it changed hands a few times, right? And I think Tech changed its name a few times too, right? Well, t- Tech, uh, yeah, so... Uh, so the, that is the Leroy mine in Rosland, just mm-hmm. up the hill from Trail, and the processing facility uh, was the foundational asset of Kamenko. And you know, fifty years later, whatever uh, Tech acquired Kamenko was for a while called Tech Kamenko, now just Tech again. So, uh, so, so that's a. Uh, 
that's a serious history in in that part of the province. And in fact, uh, they had <laughs> they had four stock exchanges in the town of Rossland. <laughs> And and that's true. Out out of out of that uh, emerged uh, the old Vancouver Stock Exchange. And there you go, history, um, right here in our own backyard in British Columbia. Um, we've been about an hour now, George. Um, we we have a kind of like if if there was rock stars in mining, we have a, a guest that were that's coming on was actually supposed to be on today, but God uh, had to handle something, so. We're going to have Clive on from uh, B2 Gold. That's going to be like talking to like Mick Jagger or something like that. <laughs> ab- ab- absolutely. So we're, we're looking forward to that and uh, uh, stay tuned for that, folks. Okay, Jim, that's a, I think that's a good wrap up of where we are. Um, things are unfolding in, in a way that... Uh, I think we uh, we're pretty comfortable with and pretty excited about. Yeah, and I think we'll try to bring more junior explorers to the to the to the conversation too. We'll we'll try to have some more of those conversations, and uh, that'll be awesome. Thanks for your time again today, George. And that has been another episode of Canadian Market Watch. Thanks for listening. To hear future episodes, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to provide feedback, ask us a question, or be a future guest on the show, please email podcast at canadianmarketwatch.com. You can also connect with the show on Instagram and Facebook at Canadian Market Watch or on Twitter at CDN Market. Join the discussion. This episode has been brought to you by Nowcast, a division of the Now Media Group, and has been produced by the Nomadic Podcaster.